2: now from the most powerful city in the world a new generation of conservative talk fair fresh fun it's the guy benson show with guy benson
0: it is friday october 22nd 2021 it's the guy benson show i'm your host guy benson Thank you for listening every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. You can listen live, which we always love, or you can listen to the podcast should you miss a minute. The podcast is free every day. Our website for everything is GuyBensonShow.com. If you don't know me, I'm a Fox News contributor. I'm the political editor at TownHall.com and, of course, host of this fine program. Thank you for listening. Here's the lineup today. Chris Wallace of Fox News Sunday in studio coming up in just about half an hour. Janice Dean will be here at the top of next hour. Looking forward to that conversation. Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin on foreign policy. There's news out of Afghanistan. There's news about China. We will get his take and his analysis on everything. And he's very plugged in and knowledgeable. So looking forward to that conversation. And it's also Friday, which means it's time for Fridays with Cat. Our friend and colleague, Kat Timpf, in our final hour. We will also, in the home stretch, recap my recent trip to Greece and producer Christine's trip to Florida. We are all back in action, of course, here, and we will get those recaps to you. Should be a fun conversation. Let me bring you a Fox News alert as we begin the show and the stats. Coronavirus cases in the United States, cumulatively, 45.3 million. That's since last March or so. The real number is much higher, of course, than that. The death toll from COVID in the United States, 733,385. The Dow is up at this hour, 78 points, currently trading at 35,681, hoping to finish the week strong there, uproot 95 in New York. Closing bell is in 51 and a half minutes. That's from right now. I actually want to start the show by bringing in, it's a rare hour one appearance from producer Christine. And she will be back, as I mentioned, in our final hour. But she told me something that happened at her daughter's school that really bothered me. And it goes to one of our monologues on yesterday's show. If you missed it, you can go to the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. The total irrationality, ...of so many of the rules that are being posed, imposed by people in charge, whether at the very top of the government or just decision makers at lower levels where science and evidence seems to not matter at all. In fact, I just saw that the CDC director yesterday, she said, and we talked about this, that perhaps even after kids are vaccinated, and I bet you they're going to try to force vaccinations for kids... And I'm a pro-vax person. I'm not sure that vaccines are necessary for children because children almost never, almost zero statistically die from COVID. I mean, that's what we know. That's the science. And yet we keep getting these insane policies. They're saying even if the kids get vaccinated with or without mandates, they still might have to have masks in schools, even though masks in schools Among unvaccinated kids do not help. Based on the actual data and the actual evidence, kids are safe in schools without masks, especially young kids. That's the actual science. So we talked about that yesterday. Now we have the CDC director saying, well, they might be changing the definition of what counts as fully vaccinated. If you've gotten your two shots. Great. I've gotten my two shots. I've urged everyone to do the same. The vaccines work. I've seen some talk out there. Oh, that doesn't really reduce the chance of transmission. That's not true. It does. In fact, there is yet another study showing that it does. It does not prevent transmission completely. I would know I got a breakthrough case. But you are much more likely to transmit the virus or get the virus as an unvaccinated person versus being a vaccinated person. That's the data. More importantly, I would say much more importantly, the vaccines are extremely effective at preventing severe outcomes from covid hospitalizations or death. They get cut down massively among the vaccinated. That is the best argument for the vaccine. And I make it a lot. And I just wanted to once again put it out there unambiguously. The vaccines are very effective. They are safe. And I encourage them strongly, not because I know the science, because I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but every doctor we've had on this show across a range of opinions from Dr. McCary to Dr. Sapphire to Dr. Manny to Dr. Siegel to Dr. Neshwat, We have them on regularly. Dr. Gottlieb we've had on this show. They all agree that the vaccines work. That's why I'm pro vaccine. Am I in favor of mandating child vaccines? For this, on this virus, I am not. And now you've got the CDC coming down and telling us, well, you might not, even if you're an adult, fully vaccinated, both shots may not be enough. They might require boosters, a third shot, to qualify as fully vaccinated moving forward. They're already hinting at that. Like, well, excuse me, I had my two shots. I also got COVID. That was my third shot. That was my booster. Came from nature. Would I not count as fully vaccinated? They constantly shift the goalposts on everything. And it drives people crazy. Which is why someone like me, with my views on these issues, finds myself, I find myself exasperated more and more. And then Christine tells me her story. And I can't say that I'm surprised because this is kind of typical. And I can't even blame some of these local principals and school board members making some of these decisions. They are just following the lead of some of these safetyist COVID theater, frankly, anti-science people at the top. So, Christine, you were thrown out. Is this correct? You were ejected from your daughter's school's playground. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Normally, I would find that hilarious and would make fun of you. However, in this case, I think you are absolutely in the right, and I actually get, like, pretty agitated just thinking about this. Explain what happened.
3: So I was off yesterday, and I decided – my daughter normally goes to aftercare because I'm at work, but I decided to go pick her up uh, when the bell rang. And she had asked me – she said, Mommy, can uh, me and my friend go play a little bit uh, on the school playground? And I said, yeah. I said, we have some time, so go ahead. So the girl's mother and I sat down, and the the girls were playing, and then a whole bunch of the aftercare kids came outside, and Megan ran over to me and said, mommy, mommy, I'm not allowed to play here unless I have my mask on, so can you give it to me? And I said, no, Megan, it is over 80-something degrees outside. You are sweating running around. We're outside. You don't need a mask. Go. And then she came back over and she said, Mommy, I'm not allowed to play with them, they said, until I put my mask on. So I politely tried to speak to somebody about this and they said, sorry, that's the rules. You know, that might not be my opinion, but that's what it has to be. And I said, we are outside. They shouldn't be running around with a mask on. It is over 80 degrees. It's insane. This is not safe. And she said, well, if you don't like it, you could leave. So I said, Megan, mm. pack your stuff. It's time to go. There's no way. I'm, I, you know, and and I'm so upset because my husband said to me, "Don't, don't make, you know, don't go up in arms. This is a school." And I said, "Yeah, but you know what? These poor children. They just hey, you got
0: to you got to stand up at some point. Yes, it's completely not. And here's the thing: outdoor transmission is so rare as to be virtually non-existent." Among any age group, even if you're a bunch of people outside with COVID. The transmission outside, we know this, is virtually zero. Outside is one of the safest places you can be. And I feel like I am beating my head up against a brick wall on this. And I've made all these points before. If you are outside, you are overwhelmingly safe from COVID. With or without With or without a mask on, being outside is safe. We know this. It's been established over the last year and a half. And some people insist to continue to live as if we were in April of 2020 and we don't know anything. That's point one. Point two, if you are a child, your daughter's eight. If you're a child, you are overwhelmingly safe from COVID. Indoors, outdoors, anywhere. The likelihood of you getting a case is very low. The likelihood of you getting a severe case is almost zero. And the likelihood of you dying from COVID as a child in this country, Dr. McCary has put the actual number in the dozens. Out of tens of millions of children in this country, we don't ban swimming pools or oceans or lakes, even though drowning is much more likely. We don't do any of this crazy stuff for flu season, even though flu is deadlier for kids. Than COVID. So if you are a child, you are overwhelmingly safe. And yet these same people insist on pretending like it's still April 2020, we don't know anything, and they continue these insane policies that make no sense. And then you compound the insanity. Your daughter, eight years old, was also outside. Like the safest possible person on the planet from COVID is a young child outside. That is just the reality and the science, and yet the rule, and you dealt with this at the summer camp as well, which is nuts, even when it's hot out, and this is now at school, if you're outside, you're running around, and you're sweating, and you're trying to breathe, doesn't matter, you've got to wear a mask, even if you're an eight-year-old child outside, it is absolutely, totally insane, And I understand Bobby not wanting you to make a scene. I'm sure he often is discouraging you from making a scene and he's usually right. But in this case, like at some point, people get completely fed up. This is why the school board meetings are happening the way they are. People have had enough. There's all these different pressures and cross currents and it's driving people out of their minds because it seems like insanity is actually winning and basic common sense and science is losing. And the people – Ensuring that it's losing are the ones wrapping themselves in the banner of science. Now, there's a story out of Florida that I want you to hear on this front. CBS News, for example, has highlighted the story of a young girl with many pre existing conditions whose mother is angry that Ron DeSantis won't force her school to require every kid to wear a mask because that's what she wants for her daughter. Even though no one's stopping her from putting a mask on her own daughter, she wants that required for everyone and is, like, kind of suggesting that it's dangerous and wrong not to have the masks on kids, even though that's not the science. CBS ran with that story. CBS did not run with the story of another family with another special needs child. Wait till you hear this. We will play you the audio from a school board meeting when we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show.
2: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. It's The
0: Guy Benson Show. Just joining us in the last segment, producer Christine joined us. She was basically thrown out of her daughter's school playground because she objected to her daughter being forced to wear a mask outdoors while playing in 80 degree heat they said well she can't play and you can't be here so leave so they left it's insane it's completely insane the risk is zero a child playing outdoors without a mask is zero for covid based on the science statistically speaking and the pro masking of children people they cite studies that don't actually prove their point They count on people to just intuitively believe that it's helpful, like it's this superstitious religious faith, like an article of faith, even though they can't really justify it with data. They say, well, what's the harm? Why not let people wear masks? I'm all for if you want to wear a mask or you're a parent, put a mask on your kid. Put four masks on your kid. It's your kid. Don't force everyone to do it. Not everyone needs it. Kids don't. And it's actually quite harmful to certain kids. Here's a story that you probably won't hear about nationally, won't be highlighted by the hand-wringing media. It's a story of a girl named Sophia who has Down syndrome. She's seven years old. She goes to Ocean Breeze Elementary School in Brevard County, Florida. One of the school board members talked about what happened to this girl at a recent meeting. I don't want you to just listen to this. It's a little long, but it's worth it. Listen to Cut 21.
4: When she got off the school bus um, a few days ago, her father saw her and she was wearing a mask. Now, in my school district, we have an illegal mask mandate, but she was wearing a mask, even though even under their own illegal mask mandates rules, she shouldn't have had to. But it wasn't enough that she was wearing a mask because she's a special needs nonverbal down syndrome child who, by the way, three weeks earlier, the school district had called the parents and said, your daughter's taking her shoes off in school. Could you help us to make sure she keeps her shoes on? They were willing to call about that. When um, her father saw her get off the school bus, she was wearing a mask and it was tied around her head with nylon rope. The mask was, was full of saliva The girl couldn't breathe. Father's furious. How could they do that to my daughter today? So he went to the school. And he talked to the school. And he found out they didn't do it that day. They had tied this mask around her face every single day for the previous six weeks that she was in school. They just forgot to take it off that day before they sent her home. So when when the parents said, what on earth were you thinking to the teacher and to the principal? Their answer was the school board told us that our students all had to wear masks. There's a special place in hell for the three people who did this to this girl. This girl experienced real Child abuse at the hands of the Brevard County School Board. And I will tell you this this session, there's going to be hell to pay for the people who did that. Seeing no further business, Vice Chair Bell moves.
0: And then they uh, finished up their business. This is a Down syndrome, seven year old girl who would take her shoes off. She's nonverbal. The definition of special needs a precious child, seven. At virtually no risk from COVID, but at a lot of risk from this type of insane abuse. Down in Florida, Governor DeSantis said, if you want a mask on your kid, you have a mask on your kid. If you're a teacher, you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask in the school building. Parents have to have an opt out available to them. There has to at least be an opt out option for parents. I feel like young Sophia is like. Case in point of the type of child who would need an opt-out from a mask if we were not a bunch of insane people. And she would be allowed to have an opt-out based on the judgment of her parents and their family doctor. Instead, the school tied a mask to her head with a rope for six consecutive weeks for hours and hours a day to comply with the mask mandate that was technically illegal in the state of Florida. And a lot of people in the media and in the... Per-
2: Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with row Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio.
4: Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name <laughs> is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out
2: every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
0: Aggressives and the pro-science people would say Governor DeSantis and this family are the bad guys in this whole story. That is nuts. No wonder people are losing their minds.
2: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five. Like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: It's the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Almost the weekend here. Glad to have you along. I'm Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast. Every day we are joined in studio by our colleague Chris Wallace, host of Fox News Sunday. You can check your, loc- uh, your local listings every Sunday morning on your local Fox station. You can watch the replay on Fox News Channel. He's a best-selling author, most recently of his book Countdown Bin Laden, a bestseller. It is great to have you back, Chris. Great to see you. Great to be back. And uh, the book is terrific. Thank the reviews you. are terrific as they should be. And you hit number two on the bestseller list you were just telling me for consecutive weeks, which is hard. That's real. I know Brett just hit number two as well for his book. We just had him on. Uh, I feel like I should write a book and promote it on Fox News because well, it seems let, to do let me, quite well.
5: Well, I was going to say, uh, Fox sells books. And, and I will also say people are incredibly generous at Fox in helping you promote your book. I mean, I think I was on almost every show uh, sermon at at three in the morning. No, I did not do. But but every, everything else, uh, you've been very generous. Actually, Brett is going to be one of our panelists on Sunday, and we're going to promote his book on the show. So so I mean, there's a real family, and there's a real effort, and and you know to help help each other, and and that's
0: not true at all of our competitors. I have some friends over there, and they don't necessarily.
5: Uh, push, help each other on on that type of thing. Fox, on Fox has a very collegial attitude in that re- respect,
0: which is terrific. All right, there's a lot to get to here. Were you able to watch the president last night on CNN?
5: I, I, I was going to say I, I'm I'm uh, regret saying that I didn't, but actually I went out to dinner with uh, two other couples and had a delightful dinner. <laughs> drank too much wine. No, I didn't see the president. I kind of know what he said, and that's I kind of know what he said is good yeah. enough. Now, I, now I'm curious. For Chris Wallace, how many glasses counts as too much wine? Well, this is the thing. They were pouring it. I mean, it wasn't like you said, I- I'll have another glass of oh, the Chablis. Oh, that's dangerous. Yes. So they just kept sort of filling up your glass and uh, with, <laughs> all with, of with a sudden. bottle. So, yes, and uh, sort of suddenly you go, whoa, I'm uh, feeling no pain. I was at a restaurant. But I'm a cheap – let me say – I'm a cheap date. I I a you know, a couple of glasses of wine, and I had more than a couple of glasses last night.
0: Well, cuz I was at a restaurant once where I realized that cuz someone was buying the bottles and they were not just pouring you a new glass when you were done, they were topping you off when you weren't done, so I had no even exactly. internal way that's of a, thinking how many glasses no, this that, is. That's exactly right. It's dangerous. It's fun if you're if you're doing it, you know, in a safe spot and you're not driving and all that, but it can be a little dangerous. We digress. I did not catch the president uh, on CNN last night. It seems like very few people did. They barely cracked a million people, even though they had the president for an hour. He hasn't taken a ton of questions uh, from the media in sit-down interviews. He has avoided you and everyone here. Um, president Trump had taken many more questions yep. by this point in his presidency, President Obama as well. Finally, they decide. all right, let's, let's put him out there. Any takeaways – Today, in terms of news that he made that you think is
5: you know relevant or lasting, or is this kind of a non event well i don't think it's a big event, but I do have a couple of takeaways and, and the biggest one I guess is that I, I and i I just feel that you don't people don't have confidence or you know he doesn't inspire confidence and reassurance that what he says is going to happen and that he's in 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 command of the situation. I me mean, just to give you an example so there's talk last night about the supply chain. And he starts talking about the fact, well, uh, and I guess uh, Anderson Cooper brings up, well, what about the National Guard? And he says, yeah, we're, you know, we're thinking about that. He says, well, what about truckers? And he goes, yeah, we're thinking about that. Well, he isn't even off the air and the White House has to do a cleanup and say, one, that if it's in a state, he can't, he can't mobilize the Guard. That has to be done by governors. And two, that there's no thought of using National Guardsmen and when you think of it it just on it's preposterous on its fact. Here's a guy who works in an office. He is in the National Guard on the weekends or whatever. And now you're gonna say, Get in the cab in the cab of a eighteen wheeler and drive it down the road. I mean Really? That's not going to work out. So that I mean, there were there were a couple of examples. Well, Taiwan, of that. they had to
0: walk back the Taiwan answer
5: that he gave. Yeah. But, and, and so when they're walking back, when your White filibuster. House I mean, the filibuster. You know, he's talking about well, yeah, you know, maybe I'd be con- I'd consider it for voting rights and maybe some more things of that. It's not going to happen. I mean, I, you just sort of think to yourself, why is he, why is he saying this stuff? He did name check.
0: On a few occasions, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, obviously trying to put pressure on them. It's been weird watching that whole saga play out among the Democrats. I see you've got two lawmakers, both Democrats, on Fox News Sunday this weekend: Senator Mark Warner of, of Virginia and Congressman Ro Khanna of California. Warner, a little bit more of a centrist-ish, you know, traditional right. liberal; Khanna, much more progressive. That's where the action is, and. It has felt at times like they got a little closer with Kirsten Cinema the other day, some actual movement on that front. And then Manchin comes out and says, well, I'm comfortable with zero dollars. How about a six-month pause and I'm fine with zero dollars? I'm trying to
5: figure out when they're going to finally coordinate this dance if they are. I think they will if only because of the fact that the political repercussions of not passing anything mm-hmm. would be so disastrous. I if You agree. don't pass – the, the the social spending bill, there's a real chance you won't get the infrastructure bill. And if at the end of all of this huffing and puffing, at the end of this year, and I, I write off next year because I don't think anything gets done in a midterm election year, if the Democrats don't get anything done, first of all, I think the immediate impact is that uh, it could tip Terry McAuliffe over in in Virginia where he can't – doesn't win that race. And I just think it is so going to invigorate Republicans and so dispirit Democrats. I'm not saying that even if they pass it, things are going to go great for the Democrats. But if they do nothing after all of this, and, and as you say, I mean, it's not like they have to get Republican votes. They have it within their power in their own party to do it. I think, it, you know, that it, the, the average Democratic voter will just think, what's the point?
0: Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, and if they're going to pass anything, uh, reconciliation,
0: Manchin said they're not close. The infrastructure bill, maybe they could get some sort of agreement in principle on reconciliation to then move to the infrastructure bill just to say we've passed something if the deadline is November 2nd, if that's going to impact Virginia because I mean, it's, what, 10 days away, 11 days away, something like that, that they really have to move there if that's their calculation. I don't know if that would have a measurable impact on the Virginia race, but if it's a 50-50 race or a 46-46 race, as one
5: recent poll suggests – then a uh, few votes here or there really could make a difference. It certainly doesn't help. I mean, you right. know, it doesn't make things better to, for them to fail, and particularly because McAuliffe has said, hey, I really need something out of Washington that I can I can brag about.
0: Uh, it, you know,
5: I, ju- I just think I, I've been surprised, too, by the way this has played out. Look, I understand that in a 50-50 Senate that, as Joe Biden said yesterday, every senator is a president in the mm-hmm. sense that every single one of them can hold us up for whatever it is that they want. I'm just surprised that Biden has played this out so publicly because I think it makes him look weak, you know, uh, as opposed to the president being the closer and, you know, I'm going to have my staff deal with all these people.
0: They sent him up to the Hill a few weeks ago, and, and I it? thought
5: I thought that was the moment right. that they were going to come out and say we have a deal and we're going to – they Nothing. said no. We're going to put it off for another month. Yeah. So, so the idea that he's had all of these meetings with all of these members of Congress, and how many meetings with Cinema and Mansion. I mean it feels like he's begging for their approval rather than they're begging for his approval. Uh, I don't think it. he comes off looking very good or strong. And it, it's one of many reasons why you just see this cratering in the polls where he's down – Well, speaking you know, of approval, 40%. Right.
0: they might say, why do we really need to beg for this guy's approval? If I look at the polls and I see – if you're Kirsten Cinema, you wake up, you say, OK, my approval rating in my state is better than his. That is definitely true for Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Right. They might say that the, the dynamic there, traditionally, president to senator, if the president is unpopular, that that
5: can change the way that relationship looks. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, and people have said to me, what are these polls? What's the importance? And they talk about the midterms. I say, you know, don't worry about the midterms. Worry about this domestic agenda because a president – if if Joe Biden at 60 percent approval – is a much harder person to say no to than Joe Biden at a 40% approval. Exactly. Coming back to the president
0: in this format last night, Anderson Cooper is sort of this town hall type thing where voters would get up there and they'd ask their questions and Cooper could follow up. We've seen this, particularly on the campaign trails where this type of thing usually happens. It is definitely uh, different. There are follow-ups. That's fine. These are real questions. But it's different – from a sit down interview oh, yeah. in a sustained way with a journalist that is what you do on a you know an a block on a fox news sunday with a, a high profile guest who has a lot of power you'll have 13 minutes or something 14 minutes to really challenge that person if you could just from your perspective explain what you feel the value is of that type of setting that they i think biden's done 10 of them in his entire presidency so far why you think it would be valuable for the country to have him challenged in that kind of setting more often
5: well i mean it's a little bit like the president when he gives uh and a- takes questions on the way out to the to the helicopter to the on the south lawn and it was true of this president and also donald trump you know you, you basically the He's completely in control. He's con- in control of how long he wants to answer, how detailed he wants to answer, whether he wants to take a follow up from this reporter, whether he doesn't. At town halls, the same deal. When you're when it's just the two of you, at, you know, at a desk or in you know in, in two chairs with proper distancing. And I you know did this with uh, Donald Trump in last in July of 2020. I remember outside. Yeah, in yeah. 100 degree heat. His idea, not mine. Uh, you know, for an hour, there's no getting away. I mean, we don't have subpoena powers. We can't have the swinging light in the in, in the police precinct or the <laughs> Billy Club. But it's as close as you get to. You know, you, he's he's there at or you know anybody, and and you can ask questions. And if you don't like the answer, you can follow up and follow up again, and and you know listen to what they're saying, and then decide when you're going to move on. And you're much more in control. In terms of they can't get away until you finished an- answering the question. In the end, obviously, if they're not going to answer your question, nothing you can do about it. But it, 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 it creates a different dynamic in which the, the, the principal, the interviewee, uh, ha- has to confront your question and either answer it or make it pretty obvious he's going to refuse to answer your question.
0: And I remember we talked about this on this show right after you had that interview with, with Trump. A full hour. You had the whole show with Donald Trump and to his credit, he gave you a full hour. He knows your reputation as a tough interviewer. And he said, I'll give him an hour. And you guys went at it. I mean, it was it was, you know, chippy at times, but it happened. And I asked you, are you in contact with the Biden campaign? You said, we're trying. We'd love to do it. I think he ought to do it. Of course, that never happened. He's now president. They're not giving sit downs to almost anyone ever can you just keep you know knocking on the door every week and asking and you know is there any way that you and and other colleagues from other networks might start to put some pressure if it's not you just someone to to have him face that sort of sustained questioning on a regular basis which he really hasn't had as president no
5: he hasn't and I, there's a reason you know there's a reason for everything in politics and the reason is obviously uh, the, this is a white house that wants to protect this president and doesn't have full confidence in his ability to handle those kinds of intense situations where somebody's going to press him. I, you know, I'm, I'm realist enough to know that he has not done. I don't think he's done a single Sunday show since he's become president. I know he's done some interviews with George Stephanopoulos, but I think they were for uh, Good Morning America, mm-hmm. and then they would. Oh, yeah, the
0: Afghanistan interview where he. Said a bunch right. of things that turned out not right. so well right. for him, and
5: yeah. that was not on. It was not on his Sunday show. Right. So I'm realistic enough to figure he ain't going on Fox News Sunday. You know. Incidentally, when we talked after the after the Trump interview in July of 2020, I had, was in contact with the Biden campaign, and they promised me that he will do an interview with you this summer. He will. Wow. Do, yeah. And then it and then they happen. didn't. Did they ever follow up on why? They just said, you know, we're in the campaign and – Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, you know, th- things have changed. And frankly, with Fox, you can always say, hey, well, you know, we don't feel we're getting a fair shake from your network. And But but they had promised it and then they backed down on it. And so uh, do I ask every week for it? No, I don't. I mean obviously we've made it clear it's a standing invitation. But my feeling is if he's not doing uh, Sunday interviews with Meet the Press or, or Face the Nation or uh, This Week or – CNN, I'm not getting an interview. I mean, I'll give you an example. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, has done interviews with all of the Sunday shows and, in fact, has done two with uh, ABC. And there's talk, well, there was talk, I don't know if she's going to do it or not, that she might do another Sunday show this week. And we said, well, you know, they're, you're on a second round with all of our competitors. How about giving us a first round? Crickets, no answers. So... You know, it it is what it is. You 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 do what you can, and uh, I, and and I will say, for all of my complaining uh, and whining is never attractive. <laughs> that that this White House has been pretty good about giving us guests. I mean, we had Fauci last week. We got Walensky this week. We've had a number of cabinet secretaries. i have had the Secretary of, of State, the National Security Advisor, DHS, a few weeks ago. Yes. Was, yeah. So so I can't. I can't complain. They're a lot better than uh, than the Obama administration was and certainly better than the Clinton administration was. This Sunday, I mentioned the two Democratic guests. You said Wolensky yep.
0: coming up. Yeah. Panel with Brett Baier and Julie Pace, Juan Williams. Uh, just quickly on Walensky, we have about a, about a minute left. Um, to prepare for an interview like that, there are so many questions. What is your, your focus on the public health front this week?
5: Well – You know, obviously, I think the two things would be one mixed messages that, you know, different things are being said. We were talking earlier about whether or not they're going to change the definition of fully vaccinated from two vaccines with the two dose vaccines to three vaccines. Mm -hmm. And in fact, saying you're not fully vaccinated until you get the booster. And then the other one is mandates, which I'm fascinated by. And, I, you know, there are two sides to the argument. But the idea... That that you get this confrontation between big corporations or big government institutions and the people who work there as to whether or not if, you, if they're not going to live up to the mandate, you're going to fire them. And we we're going to be talking about police officers or pilots at airports. Uh, that's an interesting question. I want to ask her about that.
0: Check your local listings for Fox News Sunday this Sunday morning. You can also watch the replays on Fox News Channel. While you're at it, go on Amazon. Buy the book, Countdown Bin Laden. Our guest, Chris Wallace, anchor of Fox News Sunday. Always enjoy it, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. And I assume you never have too many glasses of wine on Saturday nights. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Oh, God. Nor do I go out. Totally fair. It's Chris Wallace on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh
2: conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
5: Jason in
4: the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines
0: as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on
4: foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
0: Back here on the Guy Benson Show, Fox News alert. This is just breaking from our colleague Griff Jenkins, Bill Malugin also tweeting it. Border Patrol releasing the September numbers on the border crisis, 192,000 encounters at the southern border. So right there again in the 200K range. That brings the total of fiscal year 2021 to 1.73 million. It is the most ever by a significant margin, actually. The previous high was 1986 when I was one. So they shattered the record as the border crisis continues. Another story that I want to quickly touch on. We're almost out of time for the hour, but we covered the Gabby Petito case a bit on the show. The news broke yesterday that the FBI has confirmed that the remains of a human found by investigators is, in fact, the body of Brian Laundrie, the boyfriend in this case. And it's just a horrible case all around. So uh, that mystery, at least that piece of it. Seems to have been resolved. Plenty more questions, of course, remain. Janice Dean will join us coming up in our next hour. Don't go anywhere.
2: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show.
0: Underway our middle hour of 3 here on the Guy Benson show. Thank you for tuning in Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. Happy Friday to all of you. Guybensonshow.com, that's our website. Guybensonshow.com. The podcast is always free including on the weekends we've got bonus Benson on demand no charge and that's just at your fingertips. We now welcome in a friend of the program and a colleague she is Janice Dean, senior meteorologist here at Fox News. She's a New York Times bestselling author, including most recently, of Make Your Own Sunshine. She's got a new project coming up that she's a part of. We've teased it before. We now have more details that we can get into. Janice, it is great to have you back here.
1: Oh, and happy Friday.
0: Yes, 100%. By the way, before we get into this, uh, this other issue, I got an invite... I think, was it yesterday or the day before? Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town, although we'll be down in Florida for the Patriot Awards, which is a very fun Fox Nation event. But I won't be in D.C. for this gala at which you are going to be honored alongside Senator Tim Scott, who's another one of our favorites. It's the Independent Women's Forum. They put on a really lovely dinner every year. And this year, I see in the press release, we are honoring Janice Dean... Fox News for her work to hold former, isn't that fun, former Governor Cuomo accountable for COVID-19 nursing home deaths in New York. So in advance of that, Janice, since I won't be able to see you in person, all decked out, congratulations, extremely well earned, and I hope you have a great time in D.C. while you're down here.
1: That is very kind. I am sorry to hear that you won't be there, but I understand the reasoning because I would have loved to have been at the Patriot awards too. I wish they were both on different days, Uh, but what an honor, you know, I, it's okay. It's all right. I think you'll be there in spirit. Uh, I I know that a lot of your DC friends are going to come and have a table and celebrate with me. So, so you know what to be continued.
0: Absolutely. That sounds fabulous. Now, Janice, we had asked you about this when it was just first starting to percolate that this was going to be happening. There were whispers, there were rumors, there were some discussions about what was going to be launched and when. There's this new Fox Weather programming that they are now really promoting hard. I've seen it all over Fox News Channel. It debuts awfully soon. In fact, October 25th, it's right around the corner. What can you tell us about Fox Weather?
1: It is so exciting. I mean, I have seen the product. It's basically something that you can download on an app. And I have to be honest, I, obviously, I'm a weather geek. You know that about me. But there aren't a lot of great options when it comes to forecasting weather on your smartphone. You know, there's something called Dark Sky, which I was a big fan of when it first came out, but it, it lost its punch. I'm going to be honest with you, uh, when Google bought it. And there's just not a lot out there for people that want to see future radar or radar happening right now in your area. Um, but this will blow your mind. It'll blow your socks off. Uh, there's 3D radar attached to that. And what it is is you can see, you know, the high cloud tops on your smartphone. You can see the fact that there might be hail or lightning in your area. Uh, this is all also an app so you will see our talent 24 7 on your smartphone on your weather app delivering the forecast whenever you want it it's really something that is a visionary product um i think suzanne scott you know our boss our ceo of fox news was somebody who was championing champion 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 it's so so hard it's it's such a
0: hard word to say championing
1: (laughs) There we go. Thank you. Uh, and so I'm really proud of this, and I'm really proud to be part of it, Guy. Um, so it launches on Monday. I got a sneak peek today. I, I taped uh, a little walkthrough of what the studio is going to look like. It used yeah, to tell be me the about old the studio. Smith. It... Right, so, like it was the Shepard friend... Smith,
0: like the the spaceship, that unbelievable studio.
1: Yes. And and I, I love Shepard. You know, we we all miss him. And I think he would have absolutely loved to be part of this because he was one of, you know, an anchor that I remember being so enthusiastic about weather. When we'd have breaking news, like a hurricane or something, he oh, would yeah. be the one to go to and do like wall to wall coverage of, of, oh, of weather, weather and car chases happening. Yep. He was the king of it. And. So it's kind of apropos that it's in his old studio where, where we uh, where we launched Studio B a few years ago in the Fox report, but they've transformed it into this incredible uh, studio that has lots of big screens where you'll, you're you're going to see live radar happening and satellite imagery and and if there's storms you'll see all of the latest watches and warnings. I've met some of the talent who are. Who basically got into weather because they love it so much. Um, so it's all happening Monday. You can download the app right now on your phone, and so it will it will automatically be there on the 25th of October. You can go to foxweather.com and do that, and I I guarantee you are going to be really impressed with this product.
0: So it's foxweather.com. Are you going to be a part of this? Like, what about familiar faces from the news channel and the Fox Business Network, like Rick Reitmuth and others? Is there some crossover? Are these folks going to be on the air if there's a huge weather event happening? Could that studio come online and be on the air? What's what's the game plan here, or is it still being sort of worked out in these early days?
1: I think like everything else, we're going to, you know, let that part of it, the app, sort of sing first, and then, sure. of course, there's, there's going to be cross-promotion. I mean, the first day I'm going to be in their studio, we're going to be, you know, with uh, the anchors of the Fox Weather app, the programming, uh, Britta and Jason are going to be on with me, and that's also going to be on uh, Fox & Friends. So, in a sense, we are already going to be some cross-promotion starting oh, on Monday. Uh, and then, you know, of course, when there's breaking weather, we're all going to help each other. I mean, it's 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 a product that goes hand in hand with Fox News Channel.
0: Yeah, Fox team coverage, as we like to say. Janice, I do want to ask you this because we've had a conversation previously on the air. And in fact, it reminds me we should probably get back to that because we were talking about how you were a DJ, a music DJ. We were joking about how you could do a, like a Delilah life segment where you'd give people advice they could call in. I have not forgotten about that. I think we should do that at some point. But you made the jump in your career from FM DJ to Weather Machine. And I'm just curious, how did that actually happen?
1: You know, it was it, it happened organically, to be honest with you. When I first got out of college, I went to radio, television, broadcasting college back in Canada. I was a part-time weather presenter. I filled in for the local meteorologist in my hometown of Ottawa, Canada. Uh, back in my you know early 20s, back then you didn't need to have all of the the meteorology experience and the education that you need now so i always had that in my background i've always been interested in weather you know growing up in in ottawa it's like one of the coldest capitals in the world and we had a lot of snow and i was always intrigued by the forecasters and if and when they could tell us how much snow we were getting and then when i got to fox and they were looking for a role for me they asked if i had ever done weather before and i i said yeah right back when i started of course when I knew it was going to be a full-time gig for me at Fox 18 years ago, really this month I was being hired 18 years ago, uh, I went back to school. There's a wonderful uh, uh, distant learning course that a lot of broadcast meteorologists take with Mississippi State University. I'm a, uh, you know, a, a proud a person bulldog. that went and did that, absolutely, and it took <laughs> me several years Um, But, you know, I got my AMS seal. I I took all of the required courses to become a broadcast meteorologist. And I did it while I was working at Fox. So another lesson that I always tell young broadcasters is you're never too old to learn something new or go back to school.
0: Janice Dean is our senior meteorologist here at Fox News. Her most recent best-selling book is Make Your Own Sunshine and premiering on Monday. It is the Fox Weather app at foxweather.com. It is this visionary new way to get weather forecasts and up-to-date information about weather all over the country at foxweather.com. It's an app on your phone, and it sounds very exciting. They've got that brand-new studio completely redone for this exact purpose. A whole team of talent brought in for this app, specifically joining our team of meteorologists at Fox, including our guest, Janice Dean. Janice, always great to have you here. Let's do it again soon, please.
1: I would love that guy. And uh, happy Friday to you and have a wonderful weekend.
0: Yes, have a great weekend. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back with more after this
2: short break. You're listening to Guy Benson. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We are back here on the show. I want to revisit a story
0: that we told you about at some length last week. It's this really awful, horrific development in Loudoun County, Virginia. Where there was an alleged sexual assault of a freshman girl at a high school in Loudoun County, allegedly by a gender fluid student in a bathroom. And then that student was apparently transferred to another school and there was another alleged sexual assault committed by that person. And there was a big controversy last year in that county in the school system about transgender issues and bathroom policies and a few other related things. And I made my point when we talked about this last week that I don't think it is fair to use an example or one bad person, bad seed as the basis for crafting an entire policy or as the basis for characterizing an entire community. Right. That is not rational. That is not fair. However, if we're going to have reasonable, real conversations about what policies ought to be, people in power should not lie about reality and should not lie about facts in furtherance of a narrative, no matter how noble they believe the narrative to be. And there were some very serious allegations that there was a real cover up of what happened in that bathroom to that girl. And there are multiple felony charges now across two different incidents filed against this same alleged assailant who is a teenage biological male. Now, in the aftermath of this, one member of the school board has resigned already. The powers that be who tried to scapegoat The victim's family and her father, by the way, right, he was sort of the face of parents behaving badly at school board meetings because he went to show up to confront them. And he was called – his daughter was called a liar by some left-wing parent. He lost his temper. The police got involved. You saw him getting dragged away and, you know, pulled down. That was him. We now know why he was so angry. And during the debate, the public debate about bathroom and transgender policies – The school board, the superintendent, the district said there are no known assaults that have taken place in any bathrooms in our school system. It doesn't happen. Now, what they could have said is we've had a small handful of really horrible incidents. We do not believe that they have any bearing on the policy crafting process here and make that argument. That would be fair. What you cannot do is lie about it. So last school year. Back on June 22nd, in public, the superintendent of Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia, Scott Ziegler, said, quote, to my knowledge, we don't have any record of assaults occurring in our restrooms. That is what he asserted in public. Less than one month prior, he had written in a private email to the school board. And the school board, by the way, was, oh, we didn't know anything about this. Right. Since this all blew up, a lot of them are claiming ignorance. We didn't know. Well, there was an email. Sent from the superintendent to the school board, not for public consumption, quote, a female student alleged that a male student sexually assaulted her in the restroom. That's a direct quote from that message. This being reported from WTOP News in Washington, D.C., following up on the initial scoop from the Daily Wire. Superintendent Scott Ziegler alerted the board that in Loudoun County, Quote, in an email provided to WTOP by the school system, Superintendent Scott Ziegler alerted the board that the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office was investigating the incident but provided few details. So they knew. They knew that this happened, at least the allegation. Then they went out in public and denied it. And they were basically framing anyone who might have any concerns as a total lunatic or a bigot. who were raising objections based on nothing and a totally non-existent problem while covering this up. And then they've been lying about it. I saw that Glenn Youngkin, who's the Republican running for governor in a very close race in Virginia, he has called for a full investigation. He has been all over this story. As he should be. The Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, was asked about it in passing, and he basically ignored the question and ran off. He was too busy, I guess, uh, stumping on the trail with Kamala Harris in front of an underwhelming crowd of people. By the way, someone who's also under fire related to this is the attorney general, Mark Herring. He's a Democrat in Virginia. He is on the ticket with Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe dares. To try to make racism an issue in this campaign, saying that people who are worried about critical race theory, for example, are repeating a racist dog whistle. Meanwhile, he's got a guy on his ticket who wore blackface as an adult. He's got the endorsement proudly of Governor Blackface. and He's got another guy on his own ticket, a white dude who wore blackface as an adult. But parents worried about CRT in schools, they're the racists. Isn't it interesting in Virginia that you have of the top three office holders up for election on the Democratic side? The attorney general is a white man with a blackface scandal. But they're the good people on race, whereas the Republican ticket. Has a Hispanic man who's running for attorney general and the lieutenant governor candidate is a black woman. On the GOP ticket in Virginia, there's a black woman. On the Democratic ticket in Virginia, there's a blackface guy. I feel like the media coverage might accentuate those facts a bit more if the party roles were reversed. What do you think? McAuliffe not only playing the race card, he's also tried to talk about election trutherism and the big lie in 2020 trying to tie Glenn Youngkin to what Trump has said. Youngkin has rejected what Trump said. Repeatedly, But McAuliffe kept saying it anyway. Then he brought himself an election truther. He still won't admit that the Democrats lost in 2000. This guy has been an election truther for years lying about that election. Then he brings in one of the most famous election truthers in the country, Stacey Abrams, who's lied endlessly about her election to campaign for him in Virginia. At a McAuliffe rally, she's like, Well, I come from a state where I was not entitled to become the governor. And she was sort of hinting it's because she's a woman and she's black. No, she wasn't entitled to become governor because she lost by 50,000 votes. That's why. Stacey, she's never conceded the race. She said that they won the race, they didn't. And McAuliffe, who said the Democrats won in 2000 when they didn't, wants to pretend that the Republicans in this race in this contest are the election truthers it is really backwards there's your virginia update with just over a week to go till november the second tight as a tick in the old dominion back on the guy benson show after
5: this
2: is a podcast hosted by fox news channel's shannon bream sharing inspirational stories personal anecdotes and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com america's listening to fox news talking about the issues you care about guy Benson. benson Halfway
0: through, the Friday edition of The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. We are joined now by Congressman Mike Gallagher, Republican of Wisconsin, the 8th Congressional District up in Badgerland. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, among others. And Congressman, it's great to have you back here. I was just in your state not long ago.
6: Uh, What for? A Packers game, or what brought you there?
0: I had a speaking engagement, and I did avail myself of the opportunity to have one or two spotted cows.
6: Well, you're you're a lucky man. Next time you come, you got to time it with a game, and I'd be happy to host you at Lambeau Field.
0: Oh man, it is on my bucket list, so I might have to take you up on that, Congressman. I want to get to matters of importance here today, particularly on foreign policy. I want to start with news coming out from Afghanistan, the State Department revealing this week, and it's getting reported today to Congress, apparently, that they are in contact with more than 350 U.S. citizens on the ground in Afghanistan, which, again, I'm not a math major, I was never great at math, but I know that 363, the exact number, is significantly higher than the less than 100 number that they've been giving us now for weeks and weeks and weeks. That figure, of course, does not include U.S. permanent residents, thousands of whom are still stranded there, and then the tens of thousands of Afghan allies. But on U.S. citizens specifically, they've told us less than 100, Now they're revealing it's north of 350. I just want to get your reaction to that and also just tackling the question of did they know they were giving us a false number all that time? Why should we believe this number?
6: Well, their numbers have never added up from the start of this. They've had contradictory messages. And in an effort to spin this as a success, remarkably, I mean, you have the Secretary of State, you have the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs try and say that even though we... The decision to withdraw might have been a failure. The actual evacuation operation was a success, which simply does not withstand basic scrutiny because we knew we were leaving behind hundreds of Americans. And with this confirmation today that there's 363 there, there's really only two conclusions you can derive. Either they are incompetent and just didn't know uh, the number, or they were deliberately lying about the numbers. Now, I don't know which is true, but certainly we in Congress have to ask them. These hard questions. Yeah, I guess it could be both. Um, uh, but we in Congress have to ask these hard questions. And you you mentioned just the thousands of Afghan allies that we left behind in this crisis. And in so doing, gave the Taliban an enormous amount of leverage. We had a classified briefing this morning digging into the over the horizon counterterrorism strategy. And I could tell you without getting into the details, there are significant bipartisan concerns about our ability to conduct counterterrorism from over the horizon when we don't have assets on the ground. Uh, this we've hobbled our ability to protect the homeland from terrorist attacks because well, of the language, Congressman. This-
0: just to pick up on that point, when we did have assets on the ground, the Biden administration, in this rushed effort to respond to the horrible bombing that killed 13 of our service members, they got it wrong tragically and droned a car full of kids. And that was when we had intelligence and assets on the ground. Given that massive catastrophic failure amid all the other failures, what makes us confident that we could in the future be more successful or more precise without those assets that you're talking about?
6: Well, we should not have confidence. I did human intelligence for seven years on active duty. I was in western Iraq. I did targeting, terrorist targeting. It's incredibly difficult. Even when you have good intelligence, even when you have a combination of multiple uh, kinds of intelligence, whether it's human, signet, combined with overhead imagery, it's very difficult to know with precision what's going on and the tragic killing of innocent Afghan civilians illustrates that. And I can't help but think that part of the investigation we have to do going forward is into that targeting decision and whether it is, as you suggest, and I agree, that the Biden administration was in such a rush to appear that they were taking action in the wake of 13 of our service members being killed, that they were trigger happy and that they made the decision to go forward with the strike based on bad intelligence or based purely on overhead imagery that didn't suggest the intentions of the individual who was packing his car and that that's a that's a serious question uh chairman milley went out there in the immediate aftermath and said this was a righteous strike well he was absolutely wrong mckenzie before our committee the house Armed services committee admitted that they got this wrong he also admitted a lot of other really troubling things such as he did not know whether president biden was briefed on the fact that the taliban leader went to him and said do you guys want to take control of all of kabul or just the airport we had the option of extending the security perimeter outside of the airport. But we didn't take it, and he didn't think it was a serious offer. I think that bears uh, some follow-up scrutiny.
0: Congressman, let's shift from the Middle East to the Far East. What do we need to know about this hypersonic missile test by the Chinese? I know they've denied it. I saw some insane quotes from experts and other officials saying, we welcome the competition from China on this. We shouldn't respond in any way. We don't want to get into an arms race with China. What happened here, and what should the United States do?
6: Well, I think the first thing to know is what makes these hypersonic missiles so troubling for American deterrence is not just that they can fly very fast, uh, but that they can maneuver at high speeds, which makes them very difficult to intercept, very difficult to shoot down. And it gives the Chinese the ability to target domestic cities, uh, domestic ports, domestic munitions manufacturers in the event that we have a severe crisis over Taiwan. And I think with this test in particular, even though they missed the target reportedly by 12 miles, it really surprised our intelligence community in terms of how advanced they were. We knew we were falling behind for years now, but this shows that they're further ahead than we knew. And there was one quote that said, "We don't know how they did this." Well, the thing is we do, and this is the third and final point I would make. We know that their hypersonic weapons program has benefited from access to US technology. There are US chip designers whose technology is being fabricated by TSMC and then used by a Chinese company called Fidium in their hypersonic missile program. So this is yet another example of how U.S. technology is actually being exploited by the Chinese Communist Party in order to build things that are designed to destroy America in the future, which in my mind argues for further targeted economic and technological decoupling from China. I don't think Americans should fund the instruments of their own destruction.
0: Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, my guest, you mentioned Taiwan in that last answer. And the president was on CNN for a town hall meeting last night. He didn't make a ton of news, but he did briefly seem to make some news on Taiwan and the defense of Taiwan should the Chinese decide to invade, which is, I think, a distinct possibility, perhaps after the Olympics. It still blows my mind that the world is giving Beijing the Olympics in light of everything. But apparently that's what's happening And there have been some troubling signs in that region that the Chinese might be getting ready to make some sort of move in the coming years, perhaps. And the president was asked about this last night. He affirmed that the U.S. would help defend Taiwan. I wonder what you make of that answer and then what appears to be at least a partial parsing or walk back from the White House almost immediately.
6: Well, at first I welcomed it because it seemed like uh, President Biden was abandoning the failed policy of strategic ambiguity. And two years ago, I wrote an op-ed suggesting that we needed to clarify strategic ambiguity and make no mistake uh, and send a signal uh, clearly that we would defend Taiwan in the face of Chinese aggression. However, uh, of course, uh, Biden uh, was not making a deliberate change in policy. He was purely misspeaking, either because he doesn't understand uh, current uh, law, current U.S. policy and the notion of strategic ambiguity, or he's just completely lost. And it's just the same thing. What makes this even crazier guy is that uh, two decades ago on May 2nd, 2001, none other than Senator Joseph R. Biden Jr. wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post criticizing then-President Bush for doing this exact same thing. The the op-ed starts off with the sentence, words matter in diplomacy and in law. And then he proceeds to criticize George Bush for saying that we would defend Taiwan, even though the reality is a bit more ambiguous, pursuant to the Taiwan's Relation Act and, and numerous presidential statements. And now, 20 years later, Biden committed the exact same error that he criticized Bush for. So a very strange turn of events. Uh, I think the easiest way to solve this would be for, rather than walking it back, the administration to say, you know what? Yes, we are committed to the defense of Taiwan. We are abandoning the policy of strategic ambiguity, particularly as China goes, grows more aggressive uh, with respect to Taiwan. And we're prepared to defend uh, our friends in Taiwan in the event the chinese communist party tries to invade and effectuate unification with the mainland
0: quickly on china congressman there was a story just a few days ago about how apple at the behest of the ccp in beijing pulled apps in china from their products that gave people access to the quran and to the bible and this is yet another example of western and american companies kowtowing to beijing doing their bidding, completely, fundamentally undermining or abandoning any sense of Western values in order to continue to be profitable and have access to a huge market. At what point does it become part of the national interest and even within the interest of the federal government, potentially, to start telling U.S. companies what they can and cannot do vis-a-vis China, given the fact that China is, I think, rapidly moving from a mere competitor an adversary to something, I think, more sinister.
6: I do think we're at a time for choosing right now. I do think for too long, American companies, you know, Fortune 500 companies have deluded themselves thinking that, well, you know, we can access the Chinese market, uh, we can continue to invest in China in the case of, you know, people on Wall Street, major asset managers, and we're just going to make investments in innocuous civilian technology or you know things that have nothing to do with defense or the more sinister plans that the CCP has. But of course, the Chinese Communist Party operates under a doctrine called military-civil fusion, where they make no distinction between what is military and what is civilian, right. and they have laws in place. They pursue whatever they, they, at they at want anytime. Exactly, at any time, pursuant to Chinese law, they can take control effectively of ostensibly private companies. And so, I do think we're going to have to choose. American companies are going to have to choose whether you stand for American values whether you're willing to do the bidding of the Chinese Communist Party. And for them to censor the Koran at the time we know that the Chinese Communist Party is perpetrating a genocide against uh, ethnic Uyghur and Kazakh Mm -hmm. Muslims is absurd. Uh, For them to censor the Bible at the time we know that Christians in China are being um, repressed is absurd. And we know also that the Chinese Communist Party is rewriting key portions of the gospel in order to enhance the role of the party in their citizens' daily lives. So this is a huge threat, and American companies, particularly our most advanced technological companies, have to wake up to the fact that the Chinese Communist Party does not share their values, and it's not worth another marginal piece of profit in order to completely undermine the free enterprise system that America stands for and the rule of law internationally.
0: Even a large profit. Honestly. I mean, at some point, you're right. It's it's a time to choose. And a lot of people are choosing. That's what concerns me. They're choosing wrong. Congressman, quickly on the home front, two issues, although one is related to China. This revelation in documents from the NIH that there was perhaps at least some form of funding of -of gain-of-function research that went to the lab in Wuhan. This seems different than the unequivocal denials that we heard from people like Dr. Fauci. I think it's still a little bit ambiguous what actually happened here but the story that we were told indignantly doesn't quite seem to work anymore. What's your reaction to that development? Well, I
6: think the letter proves, in my mind at least, that the that NIH grants to the Eagle Health Alliance were used to conduct gain-of-function research, which contradicts what Fauci and Collins have said to Congress in the past. What we don't know is whether that research was conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology or at a lab here in America, Dr. Barrett's lab, for example. The other interesting thing that emerged this week is a Forbes article where they had declassified documents pursuant to a FOIA request that showed how Fauci became the highest paid federal government employee. And basically, it was because he assumed the biodefense portfolio after 9 11, part of which was funding gain of function research. So it's now a matter of public record that he got rich funding gain of function research. and restarted the spigot of money going to gain a function of research around the oversight board at a time when there was no confirmed secretary of health and human services after price got fired and before azar was confirmed that's when the spigot got turned on turned on so at a minimum i think it casts doubt on testimony that uh, fauci has given to congress uh but at worst i think it reveals that fauci lied to congress
0: Last question. There was a vote in the House yesterday, a contempt vote on Steve Bannon. It passed. There were a handful of your Republican colleagues who voted in favor, including Nancy Mace, who's someone that I like and and respect. And she made the point, you know, I wasn't in favor of this committee happening this way and this investigation happening this way. But we have to protect the right of Congress to have teeth behind their subpoenas. And that's something that we would want if and when we're in the majority. What was your thinking on the vote yesterday?
6: Well, I, I respect Nancy Mace, too. And I can tell you, having gone back and forth with her over the uh, objection on January 6th, uh, she approached it in a very intellectually honest way and, and continues to do so. She's her own person. I really respect that. Uh, I think there's two arguments against it and where we differed. One is just the absurdity of Speaker Pelosi kicking all of the Republicans off the committee that the minority leader had appointed. That's really unprecedented in the modern Congress. And I do think it proves that this Commission is a partisan farce as opposed to being done in the bipartisan fashion. And I think it would have been harder to vote against had she not done that. And then there's a, a more serious um, precedential argument that while Congress has significant oversight power to secure information pursuant to legislating, it does not have enumerated constitutional powers to conduct investigations or issue subpoenas outside of that scope, particularly when it comes to a criminal Investigation or an investigation for the purpose of holding someone accountable uh, under criminal law, as opposed to just investigating for legislative purpose. So, I think that's the reason you saw a lot of Republicans vote against. But totally respect Nancy's position.
0: Yeah, and on your first point, I think it's important to point out this is not a purely partisan endeavor. There are some Republicans on the committee, but your point is well taken and, uh, and understood. That Pelosi did not allow the Republican leadership to install their preferred people on the commission, which diminishes the bipartisan vigor and rigor of it i think that's a fair point we've got to leave it there for now congressman mike gallagher of wisconsin at some point one of these days i got to take you up on that because i got to get to lambeau field and sounds like you'd be a pretty good host
6: you're always welcome we look forward (laughs) to your visit all
0: right thanks congressman have a great weekend we'll be right
2: back it's the guy benson show fresh conservative talk guy benson show It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
0: On the Guy Benson Show. So this week, conservative Americans in particular are celebrating 30 years on the bench for Justice Clarence Thomas who is arguably now currently the most influential justice on the court with this new five to four, sometimes six to three conservative majority 30 years on the bench for Clarence Thomas, who was targeted with a smear campaign filled with lies overcame it and has been a Titan on the bench ever since he's gotten more vocal during oral argument in recent years after really just years of silence, almost never asked a question. He's gotten more engaged since the passing of his dear friend, Antonin Scalia, the late great justice. And at an event last night at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., Thomas, to a packed audience, was talking about and reflecting on his relationship with his friend. And he talked about how Scalia tried to get him to go hunting and he had no interest in that. He's like, I'm from rural Georgia. You're from New York City. If you want to go hunt in the woods, feel free. I have no reason to be in the woods. Thank you. Then he told this story about Scalia's efforts to get him to go see the symphony orchestra. This got a huge laugh. Cut 26.
2: He invited me to uh, go to the Kennedy Center with him because he likes. He said, Clarence, you like classical music. I said, oh, I sure do. He said, come to the Kennedy Center. I said, oh, yeah, but I don't like people who like classical music. (laughs) It is different without him. He is the one person I truly miss.
0: Justice Clarence Thomas, what a great set of pipes he's got, too. Can we get Clarence Thomas to do some voiceovers here on the show? Fresh fun i can't even get that deep congratulations 30 years as a supreme court justice here's too many more the guy benson shows final hour the happy hour is up next cat tim is on tap you don't want to miss it straight ahead Happy Friday to one and all. On the Guy Benson Show, thank you for listening. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, and around the clock, on demand for free on the podcast. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcast. That includes Bonus Benson on the weekend. We, of course, prefer that you listen live as the show airs. Many ways to do that, including through our great affiliates and through options like Odyssey.com, AUDACY.com, the Fox News app, Fox Nation. It's all right there, GuyBensonShow.com. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. In fact, we'll talk a bit more about the Long Drink later in the hour. It is really good. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can see where they're expanding, where they might be in your neck of the woods, how to order online, all of it. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. We are joined now... By our friend and colleague, Kat Timpf. It's time for Fridays with Kat. She's a Fox News contributor, co-host of Point on Fox News Channel every weeknight at 11 Eastern, and co-host of the Tyrus and Timpf podcast. She was scheduled to be in studio with us in New York, but she is joining us by phone, and my understanding is the reason is they are still putting in her weave for tonight's broadcast. Is that correct, Kat?
7: That would be correct, yes. I would be in studio, but my weave is not fully clipped in. So,
0: What does that uh, entail for someone correct. like me? For someone like me who doesn't fully understand what that exactly entails or means, is this a daily occurrence? They, they clip in some, some fake hair for you? Yeah,
7: there, are, there are many different kinds of fake hair, but the kind that I use are clip-in, so I can unclip them as soon as I get home and leave them about the apartment, which I believe you've seen me do before. Um,
0: I have seen you. Yeah, it's like you're removing earrings, but then all of a sudden it's like <laughs> clumps of hair.
7: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting it teased up so it latches on, clip them in, uh, you know, underneath my real hair, which is, of course, much shorter and thinner than the finished product with the weeds.
0: So are you saying that the overall appearance of people on the television is not always a 100% representation of their everyday appearance in real life?
7: Absolutely. I know I wake up every morning, like, looking like Macaulay Culkin. And then I come to work, I get my hair and makeup done, and I look like sexy librarian Barbie.
0: (laughs) You wake up, you're like, Kevin! And then we have Kat Tiff on late night television. Kat, I want to ask you about this story. It is a huge story. It broke last night. And generally, I am very much all about poking some fun at one Alec Baldwin. I think he's kind of a jerk and a bully in a lot of ways. I disagree with him on most things politically. I do think he's funny and talented, or at least can be. I like some of the stuff that he's been in. But this story out of Hollywood where I guess there was a gun that was supposed to be a prop on set, and he fired it and killed someone and wounded another person, I see he's put out a statement. He seems totally anguished over it. I don't know how you get over something like that. I don't think you ever do. It doesn't appear to be his fault at all. You've got families whose lives are completely altered and and perhaps ruined. I've seen a lot of people kind of making jokes on social media about it, and I'm not the joke police. People can make whatever jokes they want to make, but to me this story is one that is not dunk-worthy and is in fact just horrifically sad.
7: I I know. I I was saying the same thing. I mean, I, I thought it would be impossible for me to actually, you know, like, feel bad for Alex Baldwin because, seems to me, not, you know, every story about him is like he was having a, some sort of anger episode, like, in public somewhere. And but right. this, I agree with you. I don't know how you get over doing something like that. You have to feel horrible for him. I mean, there's the amount of, like, shock and devastation, and I don't see how you ever get over something like that.
0: Yeah, so just thoughts with the families that were affected. And, look, I will say this. Okay, tell me if you agree. If no one had died... I think some windmill dunks on social media would be far less unseemly, but someone died.
7: Right, exactly. Someone died. You know, she had a a husband and a son, and and it's like, yeah, it's obviously it was something, you know, in his production, like everybody who, you know, him, everybody who was there, I mean, it's an awful, 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 awful situation. So I, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't understand having, it's just not, you know, and I'm all about hot takes because I, I just fire them off all day long. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's, it's it's exhausting almost how piping hot these takes are to be just coming out of me nonstop. But that being said, yeah, this is, this is the one where it's like I, the only thing that you can really feel, I think, would just, would just be overwhelming, you know, sadness and uh, compassion for everyone involved in the situation.
0: Yeah, I felt sick to my stomach. So I'm glad that you are affirming my instinct on this because I'm like, if anyone in the building is going to tell me, lighten up, It's going to be cat, and we're seeing eye to eye on this one. So let's move on. I want to get to this story that was written about our president, Joe Biden. Apparently, behind the scenes, he has a bit of a mouth on him, and there's a whole news article about the types of swear words that he likes to use. And here at The Guy Benson Show, we decided it would be a good idea in pre-production to read from this story – So we have producer Christine sort of being the narrator, the news narrator, if you will. And then we have our own Quiet Wyatt, who is playing the role of President Biden. Let's listen together to Cut 25 before I get your reaction, cat, and ask some questions. Here we go.
3: Behind closed doors, the former Catholic schoolboy is quite profane, according to several current and former aides. When he gets going, he definitely gets going, said one White House official. In meetings with aides, Biden's vulgarities include... But are not limited to them. What the are we doing? Why the fuck isn't this happening? Bullshit. Damn it. Or simply <laughs> according to several current and former aides. <laughs> Wyatt, Good for him. How, sir,
0: get me a bar of soap immediately. Wyatt, come in here. Well, Kat, my question for you is I know that you are not offended. You're not going to even pretend to clutch your pearls. About Politico and this story and the revelation that the president has some words uh, that he likes it. You just heard there in the voice of Quiet Wyatt just dropping F-bombs and other words as well. My question for you is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you are uh, deeply aggrieved and offended that he uses those words. I, I kind of doubt it. If not, what are your views? What is your approach to profanity in the workplace?
7: I mean, you've been around me in the workplace. <laughs>
0: I have. And I'm just going to remind you, we are on radio here, so tread lightly.
7: Right, and so I can't, you know, use profanity on the radio. But I, I mean, I, I think it's good. I think it's normal. I, I don't. I don't have anyone in my life who does not swear. I, I just. I don't. And I like how they were like former Catholic schoolboy. Like I went to Catholic school. I was an altar server in middle school. And look at me now. <laughs> Means nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and now on your show on Gutfeld, people can curse and do curse because it's not live there's post production of course i knew the first time that i did it you know you're sitting there okay it's not 11 p.m so we're not live at the moment but the first time someone dropped i think an s-bomb sitting around that circle right on set i was just sort of jarred i was like whoa and then I believe I was on once with our mutual friend, Dagan McDowell, who just let an F-bomb fly, and the audience was delighted. And I was like, oh, man, all the cool kids are doing this, but I, I haven't done it yet on Gutfeld.
7: Yeah, I've done it many times, many times. <laughs> well, you're on every day. Well, that's true. It's, I, thanks for reminding me. I do have to do that in a little bit here. Uh, no, but it's, it's on at 11, too. You know what I mean? Like, anybody who doesn't right. swear is in bed.
0: Right, it's not like you're uh, rolling into the special report panel with Brett Baier. Ever, I'm never
7: right? invited he's like, on you know, special report.
0: He's like, let's do tomorrow's headline today, Cat, and you're just like a string of epithets. Right, that's, that's not yeah. the move there on that show.
7: Well, I'm also, I'm also apparently not the move on that show because I've never been invited. Um, which I mentioned to him when he was on oh. <laughs> last week. And what did he have to say? <laughs> well, he was probably, he was probably just him. like,
0: looked you dead in the eyes, he's like, yeah, that's right.
7: No, he was like, we don't do a lot of crack panels because we were talking about crap. It, it was it was a great bit. And then I went on, and I gave a very smart answer for another pa- answer, and I said, well, that's what I would do about a social report. Because um, I am very smart, you know? People think that just because I am so funny, you know, I'm like well, not just the kind of funny, I'm like really, really funny, that they think that means I can't be also... And, and, of course, attractive. And they think that that means that I can't also be very smart, but it's true, mm-hmm. I am.
0: Now, someone else who I think suffers from the same malady and the same unfair characterization is Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton, people think that she's sort of like this dumb, uh, sort of entitled blonde. And she was up on Capitol Hill just yesterday lobbying for something. I don't know what she was doing, but she was showing up and talking to members. And at one point I saw her walking down the hallway and there was a camera and she said, legislation's hot. What are your thoughts on Paris Hilton? Are you a fan of Paris Hilton? Are you an enemy of Paris Hilton? I've never gotten your take. Because uh, it seemed like she well, was gone for a while. Like She was huge. She was everywhere, ubiquitous. She was on TV, sex tapes, everything, and then just disappeared for like a decade. And now all of a sudden she's back. I will say she's looking great. Your thoughts?
7: Well, I really like the simple life, okay? Um, she's not funny. So don't ever say she has this problem. She's not funny. She is very attractive. She is very rich. Um, but, you know, I think it's great that, you know, it, it could probably be frustrating for her to be like, you know, that this issue, you know, that she's frustrated by, that she has experience that she was traumatized by, and she wants to come in and talk about it. And it's kind of hard because she's Paris Hilton, you know? But that she's drawing attention to it. Take her seriously. That's true. That's true, but it's always a double-edged sword, right? If you get attention mm. for anything other than being like a Supreme Court justice, and everybody maybe thinks you're dumb. Uh, and I don't know if she's dumb or not. I don't know her. Um, but, you know, she Well, did- and actually,
0: to your point, to your point, Kat, I have now seen many headlines that she was there. I have seen photos all over social media. I think like every staffer on Capitol Hill somehow got a photo with Paris Hilton yesterday. So it's on every Instagram that I follow. It seems like Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton, Paris Hilton, all the Paris Hilton quotes. And, you know, the, the captions are various things that she said. You referenced the simple life where she was. That was years ago. Was that who was the other girl on that show?
7: Nicole, hello. Oh, friends, yeah, yeah. Nicole
0: Richie. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. But, so I've seen this. I know for a fact that she was up there. It's everywhere. I don't know why she was there. <laughs> so there's a the double-edged sword. She drew attention to the fact that she was there lobbying for something, but I don't know what the something is.
7: It was for, you know, treatment in a youth congregate care facility. She said she was treated horribly, traumatized. You know what else you won't see her? Special report. She's She's was on friends, her special report.
0: But she was on Fox and Friends, though. She was on Fox and Friends that she didn't yeah. she maybe fox news sunday maybe she could be the power player of the week uh, maybe i should actually we just had chris wallace in here i should maybe pitch that to his team for next week and then i will never be invited back again i think that's probably uh, no. a safe bet uh, last question cat temp uh, this whole in and out burger thing this week out in san francisco and the mask mandate and the the place getting shut down and i guess mike pence then trolling and going to an in and out burger uh, number one, I have two thoughts and only two thoughts. Number one, San Francisco is a ridiculous place. I'm headed there tonight actually. The mayor imposed an indoor mask mandate and then she didn't follow it herself. I don't know why in an out couldn't simply respond to the authorities that they were whatever, you know, feeling the spirit and having fun, or whatever her excuses were, and then that, I think, is good enough for her, should be good enough for them. And number two, I just really want In-N-Out Burger now, and I'm realizing on this trip to California, because I'm only there for two days in San Francisco, I will not be able to get to one because of this stupid controversy, and that makes me angry. Do you have strong thoughts on In-N-Out Burger? You don't strike me as someone who eats a ton of fast food.
7: I do, but here's the thing, I do sometimes, and I, so I do have strong thoughts, because when I do go to fast food, it's like, Going to a fast food restaurant and being asked for, to present a medical document is absolutely insane. I, don't, I, do not, I do not, like, I'm not interested in any, like, well-reasoned, like, even-keeled debate on this, because that's really the only take. It's absolutely crazy. When I do go to a fast food restaurant, I am there because I don't want anyone to see my face, okay? I've given up. I'm not wanting to present medical documents, and that is not understanding what fast food is.
0: Right. Like yeah, I, let me let me come and have a, a double double with extra cheese and a huge thing of fries with like thousand island dressing on it, and throw in a chocolate shake, and yes, I'm here for my health. Here are my health documents.
7: Like you need to see my hemoglobin levels, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: Cat Sam Fox News contributor, co host of Gutfeld. Who you guys have tonight on Gutfeld?
7: Oh boy, we got Kennedy. We got Kennedy tonight, Vivek. Oh. Uh, I don't know how to say his, his last name, it's like Ramses Omar. Or, or, or.
0: Yes, he's um, against uh, woke corporations. He's got an interesting yeah, book a, on that. He's, okay, he's the
7: best. He's a brilliant guy. Brilliant guy. Um, and who's the who's the other one? Oh yeah, yeah, Tom Shalhoub. It's Ramashwamy. Oh, Shalhou. I don't know, and Mister Ramashwamy.
0: Yeah. That sounds right. Well, well, hang on. If you've got him, and then you've got Shalou and Kennedy, and you, I mean, that could be a very funny show. In spite of Greg's best efforts,
7: <laughs> I think it's going to be funny. I would say. I would dare to say it probably will be.
0: Oh man, that's like. That's like half my Christmas party right there. You're coming, yeah,
7: right? Of course. Absolutely. Okay.
0: I'm going to keep pressuring you. Kennedy says she can't because she's got some marathon or some nonsense. I know. Out in California. You'll never Maybe have to worry can... about
7: that with me. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, if you never. give me that excuse, like, that's a clear yeah. lie. Like, that is a lie that you are just broadcasting to the world. I don't want to be at this party, and I'm going to tell him that I'm running a marathon instead. Cat yeah. Tim, we'll let you go. I know you've got the taping coming up. Uh, our friend, it's Fridays with Kat on The Guy Benson
2: Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Guy Benson. Fox Nation presents podcasts. Women of the Bible Speak.
1: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
0: The hour on the Guy Benson Show. On this Friday, we're going to, in the home stretch coming up later this hour, go through and recap the vacations. That I had and producer Christine had separately, to be clear, to Greece and Florida, respectively. But just a little taste of Christine's time in South Florida. Christine, you said that you were at a liquor store. I'm not surprised, probably multiple times over the course of this vacation. What was the
3: name of this liquor store? It was called I Love Liquor. Probably should have just stayed there the whole time.
0: <laughs> just like, you know, like I'm going to check out of my hotel early. Do you have a, a storage closet, perhaps? And be like, ma'am, what happened to all of our inventory overnight? Oh, I don't know. So you frequented I Love Liquor. Are you thinking about maybe investing in that place?
3: I I You buying it outright. I sure am. You know what they had that was really cool? They had a freezer with ice pops that had liquor. So you could get like a Cosmo ice pop.
0: Ooh, like an adult popsicle. Yes. Delicious. That actually sounds pretty good. Anyway, the reason we bring this up, and this is not contractually obligated, just because The long drink sponsors the happy hour. But you saw long drink for sale at I Love Liquor. Yes,
3: I sure did. And I, I every time when I see it in the liquor stores, I scream. I go, oh, my gosh, it's here. It's here. And honestly, it really is. It's popping up everywhere. It's unbelievable what they have done. But yes, it is in Miami, in South Beach.
0: But they've been in Florida for quite some time. They've also been in various northeastern states, which is where our new technical producer, Dan, resides. And, Dan, you texted the crew over the weekend that you, in fact, enjoyed your first ever long drink. Where did you do that?
5: So there's something people don't really know about me is I love to play pool. So I was at a pool hall with my girlfriend, and I kept seeing these blue posters everywhere all over the place. And I checked it out, and it was finished long drink. Mm -hmm. So I went to the bar. I said, Mr. Bartender. Can I please have a finished long drink? And I tried it and I absolutely loved it.
0: Did your girlfriend have one?
5: She did. Well, she tried a sip of mine first because you got to test it, you know. And we both loved it. It was better than the other products we've had that are similar and we loved it a lot and drank. I'm not going to say how many.
2: Uh,
0: Several, let's say. Several adult beverages were had. So a satisfied new customer or two of the long drink, you're like, hang on, I work on a show. That mentions this from time to time. Here is now an advertisement for it. Let's just uh, take the plunge and you give it one thumb up, two thumbs up?
5: I give it both thumbs up. Okay. It was absolutely That's, fantastic.
0: See, and we did not put you up to this, right? This is your actual opinion. <laughs> no one is requiring you to do this. You, If you didn't like it, we would probably keep that to ourselves. But you volunteered this, that you genuinely liked it.
5: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll definitely have some this weekend, maybe even tonight.
0: Oh, I love that. You know what? Why don't we just clip this entire segment and let's send it over to our dear friends at The Finnish Long Drink because they didn't pay for this. Maybe we should ask them to because <laughs> it feels like an ad. Even though it's not, it's that good. I would like to have one tonight. I wonder if I can smuggle one out of the plane. All right, we got a break. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show sponsored by The Finnish Long Drink. Back after this.
2: GuyBensonShow.com.
0: It's the happy hour on this Friday. Happy Friday on the Guy Benson Show. In our first hour today, Chris Wallace of Fox News Sunday stopped by talking about news of the day and his upcoming show this weekend. Here's part of my conversation with Fox News Sunday anchor Chris Wallace. All right, there's a lot to get to here. Were you able to
5: watch the president last night on CNN? I I, I was going to say I am I'm, I'm, uh, regret saying That I didn't, but actually I went out to dinner with uh, uh, two other couples and had a delightful dinner, (laughs) drank too much wine. No, I didn't see the president. I kind of know what he said, and that's – I kind of know what he said is good enough. Now now I'm curious. For Chris Wallace, how many glasses counts as too much wine? Well, this is the thing. They were pouring it. I mean, it wasn't like you said. I, I'll have another glass of oh, the chablis. Oh, that's dangerous. Yes. So they just kept sort of filling up your glass, and uh, with, <laughs> all of with a, a sudden, bottle. so yes, and uh, sort of suddenly you go, "Whoa, I'm uh, feeling no pain." I was at a restaurant. But I'm a cheap. Let me say, I'm a cheap date. I, I a you know, a couple of glasses of wine, <laughs> and I had more than a couple of glasses last night.
0: Well, because I was at a restaurant once where I realized that because someone was buying the bottles. And they were not just pouring you a new glass when you were done. They were topping you off when you weren't done. So I had no even exactly. internal way that's of a, thinking how many glasses no, this that, is. that's exactly right. It's dangerous. It's fun if you're if you're doing it you know, in a safe spot and you're not driving and all that. But it can be a little dangerous. We digress. I did not catch the president uh, on CNN last night. It seems like very few people did. They barely cracked a million people even though they had the president for an hour. He hasn't taken a ton of questions. Uh, from the media in sit-down interviews. He has avoided you and everyone here. Um, President Trump had taken many more questions yep. by this point in his presidency, President Obama as well. Finally, they decide, all right, let's 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 put him out there. Any takeaways today in terms of news that he made
5: that you think is you know relevant or lasting, or is this kind of a non-event? Well, I don't think it's a big event, but I do have a couple of takeaways. And the biggest one, I guess, is that i i and i I just feel that you don't people don't have confidence or you know he doesn't inspire confidence and reassurance that what he says is going to happen and that he's in 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 command of the situation. Let I me mean, just give you an example, so there's talk last night about the supply chain, and he starts talking about the fact well uh, and I guess. Uh, Anderson Cooper brings up, well, what about the National Guard? And he says, yeah, we're you know we're thinking about that. And he says, well, what about truckers? And he goes, yeah, we're thinking about that. Well, it, it, he isn't even off the air, and the White House has to do a clean up and say one that if it's in a state, he can't not he can't mobilize the guard. That has to be done by governors, and two that there is no thought of using. <laughs> National Guardsmen, and when you think of it, it just—it's preposterous on its fact. Here's a guy who works in an office. He is in the National Guard on the weekends or whatever, and now you're going to say, get in the cab in the cab of a eighteen wheeler and drive it down the road. I mean, really? That's not going to work out. So that, my full
0: interview, that full discussion with Chris Wallace, our colleague, anchor of Fox News Sunday, available online, GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast of the entire show, free of charge, on demand every day guybensonshow.com, foxnews.podcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And there's Bonus Benson coming up this weekend, of course. When we come back the home stretch, it was an exciting week for myself and for producer Christine. I was in Greece for much of the week. She was in Florida, a little R&R. We have not caught up on those trips, but we will next.
2: For the full interview and more, go to guybensonshow.com.
0: Home stretch on a Friday on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. And we sort of hinted at this pretty explicitly yesterday. I told you a little tiny bit about my trip to Greece, which was awesome. A group of eight of us. And we just focused yesterday on the big 22-hour travel saga, getting home. And Quiet Wyatt... Played the role briefly of Curious Christine, wondering why we went to McDonald's in Santorini. And I gave an explanation that even Wyatt found to be satisfactory. But aside from that, we have not really gotten into any of the details of the trip. It was spectacular. It's a beautiful place. Meanwhile, producer Christine, she is fresh off of her vacation to Florida. She was going to go to Aruba. Then she had a meltdown about leaving the country, canceled all of those plans at the last minute, and went to South Beach in Miami instead, which raised an eyebrow for me. I was like, okay, that's... That's a choice, but I hope she has a nice time with Bobby. And now we are both back. We are both behind the microphone again, back at it here on the radio. And so Curious Christine, of course, has many questions about Greece. I have one or two questions about Florida. And in fact, I'm going to take my prerogative as host to begin with the questioning. Christine, are you happy that you canceled Aruba and went to South Beach?
3: Absolutely not. What a mistake Cookie made. Um, As you had said, I was very worried about leaving the country and possibly not being able to get back in. What if I tested positive, you know, a breakthrough case, and then Megan's stuck in New Jersey with Judgey Joyce more than she had to be? Um, Yeah, I should have taken my chances. Uh, Well, you should
0: have at least asked me before you canceled everything because I could have given you some insights about Aruba, as a matter of fact, because you actually go through American— TSA, there's a whole American security system at their airport. It's almost like you're in America, in Aruba. And I also could have maybe given you some advice about where to go in Florida.
3: Yeah, so um, I know you and I have been working together for a long time, and you know, I, I just don't know if I would have taken your advice. We all know this by now.
0: Right, you would have listened, ignored it, then had things not go well, and then come on the air and said how you regretted not listening to me. Because that is the pattern that happens over and over and over again. And it seems like this would have been another replay. At some point, I think there's a lesson there, Cookie, Christine. But the lesson has not yet been learned, obviously. Go on.
3: So, yeah. Um, the the hotel that we stayed at was absolutely beautiful. The ocean is gorgeous. The pools were nice. But, um, yeah, uh, South Beach, this is a uh, a direct message to you. You guys, you got to work on some things down there. Because uh, the area was not great, I didn't really feel that safe, and yeah, we will not, we won't be going back there. That is just a hard no. And boy, did Bobby many times during that trip say, "Wow, we could be in Aruba right now, Christine?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure could. Yeah,
3: yeah, just a couple hours more down south, yeah. and
0: uh, and with- you're obviously regretting that choice. Now, yes. look, South Beach is a scene that some people enjoy. But also, I'm not sure that you, Christine, would qualify in the group of some people in this case, because it is very loud, it is pretty wild, it is not super clean down there all the time, just sort of like the streets and that kind of thing, and it's just not necessarily your age group, and I'm not taking a shot at your age, but I feel like Producer Christine, before she was producer Christine, when she was twenty-three-year-old Christine, may have enjoyed that milieu more than forty-year-old Christine. Does that does that seem approximately correct?
3: Yes, I I would definitely have to agree with you. You know, forty-year-old uh, producer Christine and husband Bobby. You know, we were we were going. We wanted nice dinners. We wanted you know we wanted we wanted a scene with a little bit of pulse. But I think we just picked the wrong scene. And uh, it just, I missed the mark, big time. Um, And also, I just have to say, the crime down there, it didn't, there were some mornings, you know, we were walking early to see the sunrise and stuff like that. It just, it didn't really feel that safe. So, listen, great time with my husband. Bobby and I do not get uh, days away alone, just him and I. So, that was amazing, and our hotel was amazing, but... um, I'm hoping with age and my maturity, because I I feel like I've I've matured a lot throughout the past few months, Guy. Uh, Mm. Next time uh, I come to you and say, hey, you know, Bobby and I or Bobby, Megan and I would like to go on a vacation, Guy. Where do you recommend maybe I'll listen to you? I can't guarantee it, but maybe. Yeah,
0: you could have just like maybe run it past me that you were going to pull the plug on Aruba. I would have some thoughts there. And then you were going to plug it back in elsewhere. I would have definitely had some thoughts there. And you might recall... In early 2021, Adam and I went to South Florida on a trip around the inauguration. We had a lovely time and could have pointed you in the right direction, perhaps. But again, I think this was a panicked, frantic, rushed decision. And you got the vacation that you deserve in some ways. Is that fair?
3: Um, I don't like to agree with you, but yes, this was this was rushed. Yeah, I panicked, and uh, yes. Yeah, I'm just going to say it. Guy was right. Oh, okay. I hate
0: myself. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you. It's good uh, to hear that again. All right, Christine. It's time to be curious, Christine. We had a trip uh, oh, slightly different than South Beach. Santorini, Greece. Gorgeous. What are your top curiosities?
3: Well, it, seemed, it seems like you guys spoke about the travel, because I had questions. You, you weren't there for a very long time, and to Four me— nights. Yeah, that seems like a very short amount of time for all the travel that you had to go through just to get there. Uh, Looking back, do you wish you stayed longer? Like, do you wish or was it the perfect amount of time?
0: I think it was the perfect amount of time for that island, for this group. As I mentioned, there were eight of us and they all scattered. Right. So some people are spending a few days in Athens. Some people are spending a few days in Rome. Some people are spending a few days in Dublin. We came home because, A, I wanted to get back on the air. B, I've got a wedding that I'm heading to after the show. In fact, just in a few minutes, I'm going to be taking off and heading to the airport and going to San Francisco for a friend from college. Uh, He's getting married. And so we just didn't really have the time to do a next stop while over there, although I very much would have enjoyed that, I think. But for that group on that island, it was a perfect amount of time. I left wanting just a little bit more, but I'm not sure I would have had that feeling 24 hours later. So I was fully satisfied with that.
3: Now, set the, set the scene for us because it looked like you were not in a hotel. You were in a, a private villa. Correct. With this fantastic pool. Now, did you have people making you, you know, you were taking a lot of pictures of food. Were you having people make, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner for you? Were you guys?
0: So we cooked. So we had a little market nearby, this butcher shop with fresh produce. So we would actually get stuff. We cooked for ourselves a few times, lunches in particular and breakfast. The first night when we all got in, we'd all been exhausted from traveling so much. The people who run the villa had arranged for a private chef to come in and cook like five courses of totally authentic Greek food and had a lot of Greek wine. And that was our very first night, which was a beautiful way to start. And the villa was great. It was unbelievably affordable. I know people are probably listening to me like, ooh, that must be nice. a Private villa in Santorini, they must be dropping gazillions of dollars. No, it was extremely affordable. For the eight of us, it was $70 per person per night. Seventy U.S. dollars.
3: I don't believe you. It's true. (laughs) So your trip was probably cheaper than my South Beach trip.
0: Um if you take out airfare probably.
3: 70 dollars a night.
0: Although we did splurge our biggest splurge cuz we we did dinners out. We had one our final night the dinner out was just impeccable. Some of the best food, probably the best food we ate the whole week. It was on this rooftop in a neighborhood called Ia at the very north part of the island, which is when you see Santorini photos, all the white buildings on the cliff with the blue roofs, that's Ia. And it's the most beautiful place to watch a sunset. So we were up on the rooftop as the sun went down, eating this really refined, delicious Greek food with really good Greek cocktails and then Greek wine. That was a great way to conclude the trip. Our biggest splurge on the trip... And this was not my idea. In fact, I resisted it a little bit because I get seasick. But thank God for those anti-nausea patches. I wore two of them. But a buddy of ours, when we were planning the trip, he said, let's get a boat. Let's do multiple hours out on the sea, going around the island, swimming, doing all this stuff. And I, again, I get very easily seasick, very easily. And everyone else really wanted to do it. It was expensive. I was like, oh, gosh, are we going to spend hundreds of dollars per couple and then have an experience where everyone else is going to have a great time and I'm going to be, like, you know, throwing up over the side of the boat? I put on multiple patches, said a prayer. The boat that he found, it was this catamaran. I was expecting sort of like, you know, a, a nice catamaran. This thing was just a yacht. This thing had four bedrooms, two bathrooms. It was 45 feet long. It had this rooftop seating area that was the whole thing was stunning and it was a 2020 commissioned catamaran it was brand new they said there was going to be dinner on the boat I was sort of like yeah that is likely going to be gross no it was not they cooked it in the kitchen there there was a little crew they were fantastic Jordan the captain and then sort of the the woman who was coordinating everything Vicky and they cooked an amazing dinner for us and they had wine and they had beer and they had all this stuff and the patches worked we went swimming in the sea we took probably thousands of photos there was music we were singing and we had that boat just us just the eight of us from around 3 p.m till about seven thirty p.m and it was absolutely breathtaking we were so excited when we got off and back on land i was feeling great i was like well dodge a bullet there we went back to the house got changed showered and everything and we were so energized we decided to go back out into the main city of thera and we went to basically a club and had more drinks and there was dancing that was on tuesday it was the highlight day of the trip it was amazing and like i'm i'm getting almost goosebumps I'm envious of myself a few days ago. I want to go back. Take me back to that catamaran with those friends, with that dinner, with those drinks and those vistas and the sunset and everything. I did post some photos on Instagram. I have one or two more photos still to post. At Guy P. Benson. It was just awesome. I cannot recommend Santorini highly enough.
3: So I guess the the moral of this story is, uh, Bobby and I will be joining you next year on your uh, trip with your friends. Oh, I mean, this I, sounds amazing, and all of we're this sort is of right booked up, up already. Alley.
0: We're already booked up, and we've got we've got a dentist appointment that day.
3: <laughs> is the Greek wine is is there any difference between you know like I don't know Napa wine or Italian wine? Yes, yeah, it's, or- it's
0: different. Uh, I thought it was really good. They have some beautiful whites in particular. Uh, and kind of dry, delicious whites, it was great. You, I think would have liked it, Christine, and it's something to think about moving forward. I know you did your big fortieth in South Beach. <sighs> Maybe you can do your big fiftieth in santorini
3: okay we don't need to we don't need to think about my fiftieth. Let's just <laughs> think about my vacation next year. but yeah, as you're saying, you're envious of yourself, you know, just a few days ago, I am not envious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got back
0: to Eyesore Lane, you're like, this is paradise. It
3: really, it really felt nice to be home, and usually I don't <laughs> get that feeling. So, oh, cookie missed them. Although
0: I was definitely ready. The Greek food was amazing. We ate very well, but last night we had Chinese food because I was ready for something a little bit different after multiple days of that same kind of cuisine. Christine, quickly, one last question. We're almost out of time.
3: Uh, this is a twofold. How many times did you get to say "opa"? and how many dishes did you actually get to break?
0: broke no dishes, and said Opa one time, and that was just sort of ironically. It was not done authentically.
3: You understand if I was with you, that's all I would have said.
0: Yeah, we'd probably have been thrown out of the villa. They're like, sir, someone keeps breaking all the dishes in this home. You are going to pay for those, and you're also out. Like, well, we know exactly who did that. She's right over there. She does appear to be passed out. She had a hard night. Uh, All right, so that is my little recap of the trip. As I mentioned, some photos on Instagram at Guy P. Benson, if you're curious. It's already the weekend. Have a great weekend. Excited for the wedding. And I'll give you a full report from Crazyville, Northern California, when we're back here for the Monday edition of the Guy Benson Show. We'll talk to you then.